1: This is the best of OutKick, the coverage with Clay Travis on Fox Sports Radio. Sometimes we
3: have fun. Sometimes we do ridiculous things. Sometimes we chase the biggest story of the day that everybody's talking about. Other times, find a story that I think is massive that isn't getting that much attention. And I say, you know what? I want to bring this to the OutKick Army here. I want to take this to all 50 states, Sirius XM Channel 83. I want to make everybody a little bit smarter. And that has been the case with a story that I believe is a little bit under the radar. And even though it is potentially the biggest sports story of the 21st century, I bet you haven't heard hardly anybody talk about this. And what I want to discuss is sports gambling. Now, right now, unless you're in the state of Nevada, and many of you are in Nevada. Hello, Nevada. Good morning to you. You are not able to go out and legally bet on a NFL, college football, Major League Baseball, NBA, NHL, any sport out there contest. Now, you may have a bookie. You may have on your phone It's set up so you go into an offshore and you easily place a bet from your phone. But those are illegal acts. Right now, you are violating American law If you have a bookie and you're betting on sports, or if you have an offshore account and you're going in and betting on sports there, that isn't permitted. The only place you can walk into a physical location and place a bet on an outcome in a sporting event, other than horse racing in this country, maybe dog racing too, is Nevada. So the other 49 states, the rest of you out there listening right now, if you aren't in Nevada, then you don't have the ability to bet on sports. Now, why is that? A lot of people ask that question. A lot of people don't even think about it. But a lot of you do think about it. You say, wait wait a minute. Why can I go into 44 different states and buy a lottery ticket right now? Scratch off lottery ticket, mega millions, whatever you want to call it. 44 different states right now allow lottery tickets. And crazily, many pro sports teams will actually license their logos to scratch-off lottery tickets. Go Google it if you don't believe me. Right now, I live in Nashville. I can go buy a scratch-off lottery ticket sponsored by the Tennessee Titans, but I can't go out and bet on who I think is going to win between the Titans and the Raiders in week one of the NFL season. I can't bet on whether or not I think Marcus Mariota is going to win the MVP or whether or not I think the Titans are going to have an over-under of nine and a half on their season win total. I can't do that legally. Now again, a lot of you are betting on your favorite teams or teams that you just think are good bets illegally, but unless you're in Nevada, you can't do that. The NFL is incredibly hypocritical. They play games in London where you can bet right outside of the football stadium. They play games soon in Las Vegas where you're going to bet right outside of where the Raiders play. But the sports gambling universe in this country has been fundamentally broken. Well, six years ago, New Jersey looked at this situation and said, this doesn't make any sense. You may be asking yourself, why is the existing law as it is? Well, back in 1992, George Bush Sr. signed a law called the PASPA. Basically disallowed sports gambling anywhere but where sports gambling was legal at that moment. And so as a result, you haven't been able to bet on sports anywhere other than Nevada because of this 1992 law. Well, six years ago, New Jersey, to their credit, said, man, we've got Atlantic City here. And Atlantic City is losing money hand over fist. Moreover, we got a lot of people in the New York area on the East Coast who might come to Atlantic City and bet on sports. And instead, they're either betting illegally or they're getting onto planes and they're flying all the way to Las Vegas where they can walk in and place any bet that they want. And New Jersey said, that doesn't seem very fair to us. We feel like we should be able to allow our citizens to bet on sports if we want to allow them to. And so they initially said, we're going to allow it. They got shot down. They decided to have a referendum. Everybody in the state of New Jersey, where many of you are listening right now, can make the decision to bet on sports or not. We're going to let the voters go to the polls and decide. And over 60% of New Jersey residents said, yes, we want to allow sports gambling. And so then New Jersey passes that law. They immediately get sued. People say this is a violation of the 1992 prohibition on sports gambling, and they lose all the way up to the Third Circuit. The Third Circuit is the highest court in New Jersey other than the Supreme Court. So they appeal to the Supreme Court seeking relief, seeking an overturning of the Third Court decision, seeking an opportunity to be allowed to make the decision that inside the state of New Jersey, New Jersey can allow its citizens to bet on sports. And what happens? The odds of the Supreme Court taking your case are really low. The odds of the Supreme Court deciding a sports case that matters is even lower. In fact, the two most significant sports cases uh, decided by the Supreme Court in the modern era, and I'm defining modern era as meaning like in the last 40 years or so, are the Curt Flood case, which essentially opened up free agency in sports. It allowed baseball players to go out and make a lot more money and opened up free agency in sports. And the other one, which is fascinating, is 1983, the Supreme Court heard an appeal by the University of Oklahoma and by Georgia of a restriction on the number of games that were allowed to be broadcast on television. A lot of you don't know this because you're young or you just didn't pay attention at the time, but did you know that the NCAA used to control all televised football rights in this country and that they used to limit the number of games that could be shown? So if you're wondering, like, how in the world did we get to a place where basically every college football game is on television and this great smorgasbord of a Saturday, where games kick off at noon Eastern and basically go till about 3 a.m. Eastern all over the country, and every game is on all day long. How did that happen? Well, it's because in 1983, the Supreme Court said that the NCAA was violating antitrust law by restricting how many games could be shown on television. And that's actually the ruling that unleashed all of the power that exists in major college conferences now. Before that Supreme Court ruling, every school sold its rights together. After that ruling, the individual conferences got the right to go out to the market and sell all their individual games. And so the SEC, the ACC, the Big Ten, that's what set off the big conference era is the ability of all these individual conferences to start selling their games. Well, those are two massive Supreme Court decisions that changed the structure of our sporting life. I'm telling you right now, this sports gambling case that New Jersey appealed to the Supreme Court is going to be the next one. And so when New Jersey appeals this ruling from the Third Circuit to the Supreme Court, they're seeking the ability to allow their residents to bet on sports. You know what happened? New Jersey got a writ of certiorari. What does that mean? That means that four Supreme Court justices went out and said, we want to hear this case. So this coming season, probably in October, the Supreme Court is going to sit down and hear this case about whether people in New Jersey should be able to bet on sports. Now, why does that matter? Because if they rule that they are going to be able to, to bet on sports in New Jersey, it would open up all 50 states to making the same determination that they had to make with the lottery. Do we or not want to allow this gambling to take place? And I believe there is a very, very high probability that the Supreme Court is going to toss out this 1992 prohibition on sports gambling and allow every individual state to make a determination about whether or not they want to allow sports gambling. Why do I believe that that's likely to happen? Because four justices have to decide to hear a case. They typically don't decide to hear cases to hear them when they agree with the decision that's already been made. I'm very much a libertarian. If you listen to this show, you understand that. I believe firmly that everybody out there who wants to bet on sports gambling should not have to do it covertly, should not have to do it as part of the underground economy, should not have to do it illegally in order to figure out whether or not you want to place a bet. You shouldn't have to worry about whether or not you're breaking the law. I believe every individual state should make a decision about whether or not they want to allow sports gambling, just like every individual state made a decision about whether or not they wanted to allow lottery tickets. And I think the Supreme Court's going to agree with me. I think this is going to be a massive, incredibly important ruling that is going to fundamentally alter the trajectory of sports in this country. I think that by next football season, that's the 2018 football season, I think many of you listening to me right now all over the nation are going to live in states where sports gambling is legal. And that is going to be the biggest change to sports since those other two Supreme Court rulings, one from the 1970s and one from the 1980s. This is going to be the biggest story in terms of changing the way sports are covered in the 21st century. I'm going to tell you how I think that will change next. I'm also going to talk to my guy, Dan Wetzel, who wrote a huge column at Yahoo Sports analyzing this very issue and see if he agrees with me about how much this is going to change You may not have even heard anybody talking about this yet. I think fundamentally, almost overnight, by next year, the way we consume sports in this country is going to change forever.
1: Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app.
3: We're talking about the Supreme Court's decision to hear this appeal of a ruling, which was New Jersey's attempt to get sports gambling available to all New Jersey citizens and why the impact on this story could be so substantial. Uh, and again, I'm wearing my lawyer hat here, and I get so many questions. And a lot of you blow me up on Twitter wanting to talk about sports gambling and everything else. And as soon as this ruling came down, I got so many questions about this. And and for a lot of people's first thought is, well, how how will this, what will this actually look like? And so I'm already moving beyond what's going to happen here, because I will be stunned beyond belief if the Supreme Court doesn't, allow states to make individual decisions about sports gambling. Because it's not really a partisan issue. Whether you're a Democrat, Republican, Independent, Libertarian, whatever you are, a lot of people out there, I think, in our modern-day society, believe that the individual should have the right to do what the individual wants to do. Whether it's drink beer or smoke pot or anything else, honestly, that doesn't directly impact anyone else. So a lot of people say, how soon could this happen? I think if the Supreme Court overturns this, which I believe it will, this will mean by 2018 many of you listening to me right now will be able to legally gamble on sports in your states. Why would a sport? The next question I get is, why would a state want to allow sports gambling? There's always some people out there who are like, "Oh, you know, like I think people get addicted to sports gambling, I don't want this to happen." Well, fine. That's that's fine for you, but we've already made the decision in the states that we're going to allow lottery ticket scratch-offs it's hard for me to argue that we're going to unring that bell and now suddenly be in a position where we're not going to allow sports gambling when everybody can go into a gas station just about for most of this country 44 of the 50 states and do scratch-off lottery tickets so a state would want to do this because they're going to get the revenue from gambling they'll tax it so that's the reason that's the easy answer What if your state doesn't offer sports gambling? Well, some states may decide not to. For instance, Utah. We're on in Utah. I think there's a decent chance that Utah doesn't do it because of religious faith. Well, then you have to cross state lines. Or you can continue to do what a lot of people who listen to me do, which is illegally gamble on your phones because you have an offshore account. How will you place a bet? I don't know exactly. Um, An easy example is every state will regulate this a little bit differently best example I can give you right now would be how beer and liquor and wine are sold in your individual state. It varies enormously across the landscape of this country. All 50 states, people are listening to me right now. Every state is somewhat different. Now, I'll give you an example. New Hampshire has state-sponsored liquor stores. If you're listening to this show right now in New Hampshire, you have to go to a state-sponsored liquor store in order to buy liquor. Some places, like on the opposite coast, California, you can go into a grocery store and you can buy beer, wine, and liquor in a regular grocery store. They're not separated. Different states have different rules, and if you're Anheuser-Busch, you have to, for instance, when you're distributing Budweiser, make a decision that will make... That's why they have so many different distributorships, because the rules are a little bit different in every state. I think that's probably what will happen. Some states will allow you to download an app and make bets on your phone. Other states will insist that you drive to a physical location and place a bet across a counter. It's going to be interesting to see how every state breaks this down. What will this look like if I'm a new sports gambler and I'm just wondering what it's going to look like for my sports viewership? There is going to be an unbelievable gold rush to try to get your gambling business if you remember a couple of years ago FanDuel and DraftKings basically took over every commercial break and that was because of their daily fantasy game they were trying to get a toehold and own customers because if they get you to sign up for an account in theory they know exactly what you're worth Every individual account holder will play X number of games on average. And if they can get you to sign up, even if they have to give you all these signing bonuses and everything else, eventually they believe they'll make money off of you. Easy example in recent history for those of you who are old enough to remember when the internet started, there was a huge land rush as everybody tried to become the default web page that you were going to use Yahoo, MSN.com aol.com all those places this will amaze you you know the num- there are millions of people right now who still start their web searches or their web visits on aol.com msn.com and crazily yahoo.com as well still tens of millions of people who use that as their home page when they start their internet searching it's amazing because of that exact reason. What will the pro leagues and the NCAA do about the law changing? Great question. This is going to be a massive amount of money rolling in for all these leagues. Everybody, you know, in the pro sports, let's say overseas, in in the English Premier League, you know they have gambling companies sponsoring the uniforms, the logo right literally on the uniform? Um, I think we'll see something like that in pro sports as well. And this is going to be a huge income stream for these teams. The NBA has already said it's totally fine with gambling being legal. In fact, Adam Silver wrote, a letter, wrote an editorial for the New York Times saying it's time to make sports gambling legal. So I think what's going to happen is the Major League Baseball and the NFL and the NHL, which are about to open up new franchises in Vegas, are all going to get in bed completely with the idea that you can gamble on their games because it's good for their product. It's great for their product. Just like fantasy sports brought a whole new audience to definitely the NFL and sports in general, gambling is going to expand the pie and the number of people who are going to watch games is going to increase. If you're like me and you're a degenerate gambler, you will watch games until the very end, even if they've long been decided on the scoreboard cuz you're waiting to see if the over under is going to hit cuz you're waiting to see whether or not a team's going to cover. It might be 41 to 10 and everybody else has already turned off the game and moved on to something else, but if you've got the over under or you've got one team minus 35 or plus 35, you're watching till the final minute. It's great for the sport. It's great for what we do. A big part of what I do is talk gambling on this show. The reason why I love gambling talk is because, one, to me, gambling makes sports more fun. But, two, it also unites everybody who gambles because you're either on one side or the other. You may notice that I've never done a fantasy sports segment on this show. Never will. Because I think fantasy sports segments are the most boring sports talk radio that exists. I don't want to hear you call in and say, yeah, so I've got Adrian Peterson. Should I start him against the San Diego Charger defense, I want to shoot myself in a nail gun in the head with a nail gun when I hear that kind of sports talk radio because it influences a tiny segment of the population. Nobody cares about your fantasy football team. Take it to heart. Only people who care about your fantasy football team are the people who are in your fantasy football league. No one else cares about your particular decisions in fantasy football. No one else wants to hear your stories about fantasy football just like I don't want to hear you talk about Monopoly. If you play Monopoly this weekend, would you come in and tell me about your game of Monopoly? So then I had Park Place, and I was like, man, should I put a castle, uh, a hotel on Park Place, or should I put a hotel on Marvin Gardens? I'm like, I don't give a F what you did in your game of Monopoly, just like I don't give an F about what you did in your fantasy football league. Sports gambling is different because everybody's on one side or the other. Your individual decision that you have to make in fantasy football is not shared by millions of other people. There might be 1% of the population out there that's also deciding whether to start Adrian Peterson against the San Diego Chargers defense. Everybody out there who gambles, and that's a huge percentage of people, is trying to decide, do I take the New Orleans Saints minus four against... The San Diego Chargers are not. And regardless of which side you take, 100% of people are who are gambling are on one side or the other. I think just like you have fantasy experts on television now, gambling experts are going to become paramount. We will soon have gambling television shows exclusively. This is going to change everything. I think you'll get score alerts, not just about the score, but about whether or not a cover is likely to happen. I think that you will start to see on the screen, instead of just the score, who wins against the number, I think that this is going to change everything overnight. Just like if you had told somebody 25 years ago, yeah, they're going to have this thing called a fantasy scroll at the bottom of the screen, and it's going to tell you all the updates of individual statistics of NFL players. This thing is going to be so much bigger than fantasy sports
1: are. It's going to be wild. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. A lot of times this week is one of the
3: deadest of the sports calendar. Instead, the NBA free agency, which officially begins tomorrow, has turned into a total carnival of entertainment. The NBA offseason has already been more entertaining than the NBA regular season. And we talked about how there were four big players out there that if they change teams, could make the NBA better. One of those guys dropped off the radar on Wednesday when Chris Paul agreed to join the Houston Rockets. But there are still three guys out there with all sorts of drama surrounding them. Paul George, who still has a year left on his contract. We have, obviously, uh, Blake Griffin, who is probably going to end up leaving the Clippers, I would imagine now, because of the overall disaster that is befalling their roster now that Chris Paul has left. And we have Gordon Hayward with the Utah Jazz, Boston Celtics rumored there as a potential destination for him. I've been arguing that all three of those guys need to go to a new team in order to make things better. And to me, what would make the NBA the best is if I'm Adam Silver and I can wave my magic wand of NBA competition and just make things insanely better overnight, here's what I would choose to do. I would say, Gordon Hayward, you are going to go to the Boston Celtics. I would be tempted to say, Paul George, you're going to go to the Boston Celtics too. And then I would say, Blake Griffin, you're going to the Thunder. I think overnight that would make the NBA regular season and the NBA playoffs a lot better. All right, So I waved my magic wand. Now let me explain why I think that is. I believe that if the Boston Celtics added Gordon Hayward and Paul George, They would be as good, if not better, than the Cleveland Cavaliers as are presently constituted. That would mean we would have a great, theoretically, Eastern Conference Finals. I'm not sure that the Cavs and LeBron would continue their stretch of going to the finals for a third straight year, right? I don't know what would happen in that scenario. Nobody really knows. I think that would be fantastic to see what would transpire. On top of that, I also believe that it would be really interesting then to look in the Western Conference because the Houston Rockets are better, the Oklahoma City Thunder would get much better, and the Spurs would be pretty decent, not to mention the Timberwolves who have gotten a lot better as well. So I think that would turn things into a really intriguing matchup for both the Eastern and the Western Conference. I still think the Warriors would be the best team, but I think it makes it the most intriguing. And by the way, I said Cavs would go for the third straight year to the finals. I meant the fourth straight year to the finals because right now I think most people have this idea we're going to get a rubber match this year. We did. The Warriors proved there wasn't much competition from the Cavs. I think people would be at this point in time, even though LeBron is a great storyline, I think they'd almost be more intrigued to see the Celtics against the Warriors, especially if the Celtics had Paul George and Gordon Hayward And they were suddenly, maybe, legitimately a challenger. Now, maybe that still wouldn't be enough to get past the Warriors, but I almost feel like with what we saw in the most recent NBA Finals, that there isn't that much uncertainty about the Cavs-Warriors matchup. We know who's better. We know who's going to win when those two teams meet up. Does that make sense to you, Jason Martin? If I gave you the same magic wand, what would you do to make the NBA great again?
4: I definitely would make the Celtics better. I think the league's better when the Celtics and Lakers are there. There's one stat I saw yesterday that was kind of stunning to me, and that is that the Lakers haven't made the playoffs in the last four years and only five times in the previous 65 before that had they not made the playoffs.
3: It's a great stat.
4: So it shows just how far off they've fallen and how Magic's trying to turn things around with Lonzo and maybe what they're going to do in free agency. If they're able to swing Paul George next year or maybe get LeBron or whatever it is that they're planning on doing there. But it's better when those two franchises are good. And Boston is certainly on the cusp of being good. They've got a great young coach that's a good ambassador for the league already that people like to play for. They've got a couple of veterans like Horford and guys like that. You forget how Horford's on that team. And he can still play basketball. And you've got Isaiah Thomas, obviously. If you're able to bring in a Hayward, if you're able to bring in a Blake Griffin even. um, You know, whoever it is. The Paul George thing is intriguing to me. But the biggest story remains this Houston thing because let us not forget that Eric Gordon was the sixth man of the year in the NBA awards this year. And he came off the bench and would get 20 for them on a regular basis. Now they lost Lou Williams, who was another big time scorer for them, but they keep Ryan Anderson. They keep guys that can score. James Harden obviously does what he does. If he and Chris Paul are actually able to mesh and if they bring in Paul George, I'm really, really intrigued by that. Like I kind of would rather see Paul George in that situation just because it would make it a whole lot more interesting in the West. I think that the big loser in that situation becomes the San Antonio Spurs. The Spurs that are still well-coached and still have those role players that irritate you left and right and play their brand of basketball, Kawhi's just not enough by himself. They have to get other people. It seems like in the NBA now, if you want to win, you've got to find a collection of superstars, a collection of all-stars on one team to try and compete. So I I agree with you. I think that the Celtics would be a good place to see two of those guys go. I really am kind of curious. I'm kind of now hoping Paul George goes to Houston because I think that would be intriguing. And I continue to think Blake Griffin really is a nice fit in Oklahoma City. I know the Thunder are also looking at Rudy Gay and some other smaller players like that. And of course, we had fun yesterday with the Denver Nuggets. They're trying to get back into things. And let's, you know, don't forget that they're always in the top five, arguably, sometimes in the top one or two almost every year in home court advantage because of the altitude and 45 minute drive from the airport to the arena. And everybody hates playing there except for the players that actually play there. So I think that there's some intrigue in the West a little bit but the key here is to make Boston legitimately competitive with Cleveland and I don't think as they're presently constituted that's the case they've got to do something Or it means Danny Ainge is kicking the can down the road for two or three years when he thinks LeBron is gone, when he thinks Kyrie might have moved on, and then Boston can grab a stranglehold on the East. Maybe with Klay Thompson leaving Golden State and them not being as strong, maybe that's when he thinks that he can strike. He just wants to be kind of competitive right now. That's one thing that you've seen. He likes to be, you know, two to four. If he ends up in the top seed because Cleveland doesn't care, that's great. If he wins right now, that's great. But it looks like he has more of a long-term plan. But I don't disagree with anything that you said.
3: Are you a little bit surprised the Cavs have really done nothing? We hear about all these different – I know they don't have a GM, and maybe there's been some disagreement about whether or not Kyrie Irving is worth trading for a particular move, and maybe they just haven't had the success that they anticipated with Kevin Love in terms of interest from him for him across the league. But to me, maybe the most intriguing aspect of the NBA free agency so far has been Cleveland, who we all just see get boat raced in their NBA Finals series against the Warriors, not making any moves. It seems like a bad guess on behalf of the Cavs to anticipate that the Warriors are going to be worse and just to sit back and watch everything happen and not even try and make a play to get your team better. Because I just don't see any way that having watched that series – that the Cavs have a chance. LeBron James is going to be a year older. Uh, Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving, I don't see just taking radical steps. They were both decent in the finals. I don't understand why the Cavs are not making a move, even if it's the wrong move. At least if you make a move, you could get better. As is, they seem very confident to just sit back and say, you know what, we're going to roll with what we got. And I feel confident in saying, what you got ain't enough. Well, I think the story is different. I think
4: the story is they tried to make a move. Remember, on the night of the draft, they were trying to get Paul George and move Kevin Love in a three-team, in a three-team deal, and they could not make it happen. I think that what this says is one of two things, and it may say both of them. I continue to think LeBron's not going to leave. We disagree on that point. But I do think that there are a lot of people within the NBA that believe he is going to leave. So if you're a free agent, do you really want to go there, and then he leaves, and then you're stuck in Cleveland, Ohio? The second thing is... They've got assets people don't want because of the money on the books. That's a big problem when you're trying to make deals. And then the third thing is the David Griffin situation. Dan Gilbert doesn't look like the most competent owner right now. Making that move when he made it seems to be punitive and really petty and dumb on top of everything else. So it just doesn't look like a cohesive franchise right now. So do you want to, if you're a star-free agent... Hit your wagon to that when you're not sure whether or not LeBron's going to be there for more than another year, and you're not sure what's going to happen with Kyrie Irving, and you're not sure that you have a coach that you really like in Ty Lue, and you're not sure that you buy into the ownership of Dan Gilbert, and you have no idea whether or not Chauncey Billups is going to be a good GM if indeed he's the one that gets that job. There's just too many unanswered questions. So to me, I think they wanted to make a move, and they're just getting trumped by franchise. Daryl Morey's is a really good owner. He struggled for a few years, but he's a really smart guy. He's made some really good moves of the past few years, none better than this Chris Paul move. But that, to me, is the issue. It's Cleveland's incompetence. It's not that they don't want to make moves. It's that they put themselves in such a bad situation with bad contracts and bad ownership and the potential just kind of questions looming as to what's going to happen next year that leads free agents to be a bit gun-shy about going to Cleveland, Ohio.
3: I think LeBron's going to leave. And we've had that debate, and we'll continue to have that debate probably for an entire year. And LeBron James loves drama, so I anticipate that every little detail that happens
1: will continue to be related to that. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific.
3: Welcome back. Fox Sports Radio Studios brought to you by Geico. Your car's needs now come with a reward with the AutoZone rewards program. Spend $20 five times and earn a $20 reward. So sign up today. Get in the zone AutoZone. Was it a controversial opinion? People on Twitter certainly don't think so. I'm a mobile DJ in Michigan. All summer long still fills the dance floor and everyone sings the northern Michigan part as loud as possible. A lot of people saying they assumed it already was defining the state of Michigan. Continuing to read all summer long says Susanna is already well on its way to replacing hell to the victors as the defining song for the state of Michigan. Lots of, I mean, I gotta be honest with you. I thought maybe it's a little more controversial every all summer long, a classic in 20 years (laughs) or Colin Kaepernick plays in the NFL again, which is more likely. Yeah. Um, lots of positive. Uh, I agree. All summer long is a classic, says Doctor Evil. Craig Carpenter says agree. It's going to be an iconic Michigan song. Now that it's summer, heard it twice yesterday.
4: Ugh, the problem. The problem, with that song, the problem with that song, Clay, is every time I hear it, I think of Alabama. I don't think of Michigan. I didn't even know about the Michigan part because I don't know the lyrics. Because all I do is hum the hum the background part, which is basically a rip off of Sweet Home Alabama, like directly. A off, like more so it's than an, most. He's
3: paying homage. Like Omage, I don't think he's hiding yeah. homage. I don't think he's it's hiding homage, it. Yeah. Is it? I think you could pronounce homage. it homage, right? You shouldn't. <laughs> I think it's homage. He's paying homage. That's the way yeah, you pronounce uh, that word, homage. right? It's homage. homage. Where are you from? Yes. Are you from an Amish village? No, it's. I didn't it's, say like Amish. Homage. It's
1: homage. Am
3: I insane for saying all summer long by Kid Rock will be the classic anthem defining the state of Michigan in twenty years? 400 people have already voted in about two minutes since I put this poll up. Dead even 50-50. <laughs> 50% say yes, 50% say no. All right, um, we're going to talk to John Marozzi next. Uh, who should I go to, uh, phone calls-wise? Let's go to Kevin and Indy. I always like Kevin and Indy. Kevin and Indy, bringing it. All right, Kevin, what's up?
0: Hey, Clay, I wanted to throw out there. If you're talking about like importance of the song to that state in particular, Yep. you you got to throw out there "Back Home Again in Indiana." It's played before the Indy Five Hundred every single year with the fanfare, Memorial Day, and salute. What's true?
3: What's the song?
0: "Back Home Again in Indiana." I, I've day never it yeah. for the longest time.
3: Yeah, no, that's good. I've never even heard of that song. Uh, you know what I think? Yeah, that when I think of Indiana is the uh, what's the song "Last Dance with Mary Jane" by Tom Petty. Isn't that Mary Jane's last dance? That's, Mary, that's yeah. not a
0: bad one either. But are uh, you talking importance to the people of the state? Anybody in Indiana right now hearing me say this probably got chills thinking about race day. I also wanted to throw out there, as much as I hate to admit it, uh, J-Mart's right. Uh, uh, Kid Rock's Garbage. That song is not even going to come close to a national anthem of, of the state of Michigan. Not even close.
3: It is. It is already a national anthem of the state of Michigan. They will be sing- singing this song before long in the big house with arms locked. Oh, my God. In the place, no doubt. Derek in Oakland. Derek, what's up?
5: Good morning, Clay. Great show as always.
3: Appreciate now, before
5: that. Before I get to my, cal- I get my California tape, um, that, uh, the Kid Rock song, not only is it from Sweet Home Alabama, but it also has a mix of Warren Zevon's Werewolf London. I believe that's the keyboard part.
3: Yeah, look, so I, look, he is he is bringing together all of the greatest parts of music into one perfect song. I mean, he, again, he's the Beethoven of our time.
5: Absolutely. Now, as far as California goes, i got to disagree with the California love, because California Dreamin' has definitely been around a lot longer. It reaches a wider range of uh, fans, and now you're starting to hear it as theme songs to a lot of new television shows out there. So that's my belief. It's California Dreamin', not California Love.
3: You know, with the other one that I think is, is is that the what's the name of the Katy Perry song? California Girls. Yeah, or the Beach Boys song too, or the the David Lee Ross song. Like Hotel there's, California. there's a ton, there's, uh, there's, there's a ton Dead of Eagles. Californians. I mean, look, when you're a cunt, when your your state is as big or bigger than most countries, then you're going to get a ton of songs that are iconic about it. But I think the California girls from Katy Perry is also like California may be uh, unique enough that it's hard to find one song that defines the state. I would still say. You know, you're not just looking right now, but also looking forward. I think Cal. It's hard to find somebody who doesn't like. And I'm 38. I would, I would bet that there's not a single person listening to us right now that doesn't like California Love, who's under the age of 45, right? So you got to project forward, like what song is going to end up being the iconic song? And I'm very confident that Country Roads is never getting replaced in West Virginia. Very confident Rocky Top is never getting replaced in Tennessee. Very confident that Sweet Home Alabama is not getting replaced in Alabama. I will say that California Love I'm the least confident in, which is why it's number four overall on my list of iconic songs within the state. Not not music that everybody outside of the state knows, but are insanely popular inside the state. Tyler in Toledo. What's up, Tyler?
5: I was in a car accident calling you, so... I'm glad you're
3: still alive. We need the ratings points.
5: (laughs) Hey, um, live really close to Michigan, and you're spot on. But more than just that, I don't think that there's a a group of people in the state that identify more with a musical artist than the people of Michigan and Kid Rock.
3: Oh, that's an interesting question. Well, first of all, it depends on, yeah, I mean, who you're talking about. Because as the average black guy in Detroit, like, man, Kid Rock represents me better than anybody is the average white person in Michigan represented by Kid Rock better than any rock that's that's an interesting question any musician that is re- like oh that's a really good question
4: yeah that's a, that that opens up a whole another thing the only other thing i was thinking about with michigan is i mean isn't that kiss country like i know that it's becoming generational like nobody that's in in our age group now is really listening to kiss so i understand the kid rock thing just like i understand tupac and dre replacing the beach boys In California, I think generationally maybe the song changes unless it's something like a Rocky Top or a Sweet Home Alabama that's been played at every football game that every kid has gone to. And so it's kind of been ingrained in their psyche as well.
3: I'm just trying to think right now. It's such a good question. I mean, I can think internationally. Like, I think of Ireland and I think of U2. I think of New York City, honestly, and I think of Jay-Z. Iceland Uh, and Bjork. uh, Bjork, where's it? Sweden? Iceland. Iceland? Yeah. Uh, I don't really think much about New York, to be honest. I'm trying to think in America. Like Jay Z, immediately comes to mind with New York, and obviously, when you when you make your song, I made a Yankee hat more famous than a Yankee did. I mean, I'm, he's really kind of in, 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 defined himself by New York City.
4: Honestly, it's Bruce Springsteen in New Jersey. I know you don't know a lot about Bruce, but
3: that's the answer. Like, I don't think there's anything even close compared to that. Actually, by far, it's Bruce Springsteen in your mind. I think so. Yes. See, I'm not a, I'm not a, I don't know anything about Bruce Springsteen. Like, I think I missed him. Like, are there that many people in their 30s who love Bruce Springsteen? Um, not a whole lot in their 30s, but I'll tell you what: there
4: will be no sports columns written, you know, if sports writing isn't dead, based on your column from yesterday. But there will be no sports writing done the day Bruce Springsteen dies, because if you, there's not a single sports writer. Out there that doesn't talk about Bruce Springsteen on Twitter at least two or three times a week. Like yeah, when well, this happens, won, it's going to be a know, National Week of Mourning.
3: I know nothing about Bruce Springsteen. Like I'm, I'm definitely one of those guys who. Did. So him in New Jersey, according to you, I, I got, I got nothing there. Tim in North Carolina. Tim, what's up?
5: Uh, well, hold
3: on. Where in the world is Tim? Calling I had, I had right to cut now? him
4: off. I don't know. He was fine when I was talking to him, and then he decided he was going to head into an airplane hangar and speak <laughs> I speak through the white courtesy is he phone. In Mammoth
3: is he in Mammoth Cave? Is he? His in point the, was
4: Carolina on my mind by James Taylor in the state of North Carolina, which is not a bad one. I lived in North Carolina people, for a good while.
3: People are trying to claim a lot of people blowing up my Twitter feed from North and South Carolina, claiming "Sweet Caroline" for the Carolinas. Yeah, I don't. I don't That's see it accurate. that way. No, I mean, first of all, "Sweet Caroline." I've said this before is the white national anthem. You play, you play "Sweet Caroline." This is when back when I was talking about how good of a wedding DJ I would be. If you got a crowd of white people, "Sweet Caroline," that and "Journeys Don't Stop Believing" are the two most famous songs ever created for white people. I mean, across the entire nation. You, if, you, if you're if you a black guy, you're a Hispanic guy, you're an Asian guy, and you're throwing a party, and you're like, I got some white relatives coming in. I don't know how to make, make them comfortable. You put on Sweet Caroline on your on your mix, and they'll be like, My. They'll, they'll feel totally comfortable. I don't know what the other races, national anthems are right now, but I will tell you right now that every time I'm anywhere in a bar – and Sweet Caroline comes up, and you get the boop, boop, boop. Like, white people just love that. I don't know why. And then Journeys, Don't Stop Believing. Yeah, Don't like,
4: Stop Believing, I think, is the answer, actually. I think it no, may be higher
3: up than Sweet Caroline. Sweet, Sweet Caroline, I think, because drunkenly with the little boop, boop, boop. Like, people just like to do, like, their hand, like they're doing the cymbals and stuff. I'm telling you, those two songs... If you had to pick, like right now, what songs do white people love more than anybody else? (laughs) Sweet Caroline and Journeys Don't Stop Believing. Number one, I think, is Sweet Caroline. Number two is Journeys Don't Stop Believing. But I'm not going to let South and North Carolina just sweep in here and say, oh, that's our song. No. You have nothing to do with that song except for the fact that you might be white people in South Carolina and North Carolina. I honestly think of Boston yeah, so do I.
4: before you know Carolina.
3: Yeah, so cuz they I. do it with the but any, any I think of white people and Boston obviously is one of the whitest <laughs> cities in America. That's all you ever think about, Clay? No, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm very culturally diverse. <laughs> I'm Regist. very culturally diverse. No,
2: you do have a good point with the with the drunk white people thing. They they love that. Bah
3: bah, bah. Yeah. oh, that's like the I'm telling you right now, if you were like, let's let's say there's somebody driving in this weekend, he's like, Man, I got like let's say we got a black guy in California listening to us right now, and he's like, Man, I just got this new gig. I'm a little bit nervous about it. I'm gonna be a wedding DJ for all these white people. I'm telling you right now, you just put don't you put journeys, don't stop believing in your play mix. And then also uh, you put in Sweet Caroline. Now, I said this before. I firmly believe that all a wedding DJ needs to do is play two songs. uh, And uh, Get Low by Flo Rida. That's the apple bottom jeans part with the boots with the furs. You're you're set. Just play that on repeat. And Gin and Juice. I've never met anybody at a wedding who's under the age of 40 that when those songs come on, they don't like it. If you mix that in with Sweet Caroline and Don't Stop Believing by Journey, Those four songs, bang, you're done. No other things to worry about if you're a wedding DJ. Uh, We will talk from here to John Morosi. You can tell me if you agree with me or what song is better national anthem for white people right now than Don't Stop Believing and Sweet Caroline. You can give me a different answer, but you're going to be wrong. And right now, I'd like for you all to pause, put your hand over your heart, and thank America for Kid Rock and his iconic summer song, All Summer
1: Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at FoxSportsRadio.com and within the iHeartRadio app. God, Clay, I've ever seen you on the street. America, it's time for your favorite segment. I hate you, Clay Travis! Oh, you haven't heard of it? It's really simple. Basically, you get to on Clay. Like this.
0: I hate you, Clay Travis. This is the stupidest thing that probably Drew said in about six months. I hate you, Clay Travis, with your elfin size five shoes. I
1: hate you, Clay Travis. I hate you, Clay Travis. I hate you, Clay Travis. (laughs) Now here's Clay. (laughs) you, Travis. I mean... I hate you, Clay Travis. You want
6: to hate me, then hate me. What can I do? Are How we ready? closet racist, alt-right dickweed like Clay Travis have a national
4: platform? I am so sick of hearing him spew his bullshit on air for three hours a day. I'd rather drag my balls through ten miles of broken glass than to listen to that whole say another fucking word. By the way, Clay, if you ever bring your ass to Raleigh, I'll drop you like a
3: hammer on a nail, dick. <laughs> So we're big in Raleigh, North Carolina. Huge oh. in Raleigh. Oh, Huge in Raleigh, North Carolina. Oh, man. That's a pretty strong debut there. Are we even on in Raleigh, North Carolina? Is he listening on satellite? Are we, do you have an affiliate <laughs> in Raleigh?
4: We, we do have an affiliate in Raleigh, I'm pretty uh, sure, in the tri area there. All right. Well, good morning, Raleigh. Happy Fourth of July.
3: All right. What's up next? What we got?
6: Are you serious, man? Parker said Mr. Pete here. He's talking about Kid Rock, and he doesn't know who Bruce Springsteen is, the boss. And he's saying, I've been to a couple Kid Rock concerts. Well, you want to know why Clay is gay? Because he listens to Kid Rock. Are you kidding me? Percocet, to P here. I'm just appalled, and I cannot believe that he said this. Doesn't know who the boss is. Well, he listens and has been to Kid Rock concerts. Then he said, I've seen Kid Rock at his strip clubs. First of all, people that go to strip clubs don't admit that they go to strip clubs. So that's one telltale sign that you don't go to strip clubs. And if you saw Kid Rock at a strip club, you were probably at a gay strip club. Percocet, Pistol Pete, I'll call back later, man. I got to do some work.
3: I'm kind of in love with that guy. I'm not going to lie. Percocet, Pistol Pete may have just become my favorite caller. We need to play that back. There was so much going on in that call. First of all, I don't even know how he talks that slow. Must have been sipping on some syrup. Let's hear that again.
6: Are you serious, man? Percocet, Pistol Pete here. He's talking about Kid Rock. And he doesn't know who Bruce Springsteen is, the boss. And he's saying, I've been to a couple Kid Rock concerts. Well, you want to know why Clay is gay? Because he listens to Kid Rock. Are you kidding me? Percocet, to P here. I'm just appalled, and I cannot believe that he said this. doesn't know who the boss is, but he listens and has been to Kid Rock rock concerts then he said i seen kid rock at strip clubs first of all people that go to strip clubs don't admit that they go to strip clubs so that's one telltale sign that you don't go to strip clubs and if you saw kid rock at a strip club you were probably at a gay strip club purchase that piss p i'll call back later man i gotta do some work
3: it's just a work of art i mean I, an absolute work of art let's go to number three
6: play travis you obviously sit down to pee
3: that's it that's the whole message <laughs> you know what full confession i do sometimes sit down when i pee and i do it because in the middle of the night i don't want to pee all over the place i'm a married guy and the last thing i want to do is have to deal with with the fact that I've peed all over the place, and I can't blame it on my kids in the middle of the night. My wife would be like, who peed all over the seat and didn't clean it up? I'm like, it must have been one of my kids. One of the kids, you know those boys, they don't know how to control their penis. They just pulled their – I almost said the wrong word there. They just pulled their penis out and they spray (laughs) pee. They spray pee all over the place. might have been me, to be honest, but I always blame the kids. Can't do that in the middle of the night. Wasn't one of the kids. So, yeah, sometimes I do sit down to pee. Full confession. Clay, I got a big issue
0: with this four-for-four at Wendy's. Everybody acts like it's a big f***ing deal, that it's four for four. You get your junior bacon, the fry, the drink, and the nuggets for $4. But it's really a bunch of bullshit. because when I was a kid, junior bacon cheeseburgers were $0.99, cents, and now they're $1.89. So really, you just have to get your food when I just want my junior bacon cheeseburger for $0.99. Cents that used to exist. This is price gouging. People are getting snowed. The sheep are out there. People need to wake the f- up. The 4-for-4 is not a good deal.
3: Of all the things I thought people were going to call in and complain about, the Wendy's 4-for-4 special, here's my deal with Wendy's. All right, I don't like to call people racist, but I think Wendy's might be racist because I don't know why the chocolate frosty alone was not enough. I have tried that vanilla frosty, and it tastes the exact same as the chocolate frosty. I think white people got to Wendy's, And they were like, we don't want to be eating a brown frosty. We need a white frosty to eat or maybe vice versa. I'm not sure exactly how the racism works here. My point pretty straightforwardly here is one brown frosty was perfect. I don't know who got to Wendy's and said, you need a vanilla frosty. Bad idea. It's the same exact treat, delectable frozen treat. I love the frosty, but whoever gets a vanilla frosty. It's an indefensible move. That's my only complaint about Wendy's. All right, what we got next?
6: Hey Clay,
0: this is Dino from San Diego, California. I don't hate you and I don't think you're gay, but I think you're a f***ing nut. Last, uh, what, yesterday when you were talking about women being not as good as men, your email box had to be full. But I'll tell you what, you know where we f***ed up is when we let him smoke and we let him drink. We should have, we let him smoke and we let him vote. That's where we messed up. We should have never let women do that. Don't always agree with what you're talking about on the show, but I, you're the only thing that's good on at four o'clock in the morning out here on the West Coast, so I'm kind of stuck with you. You're the best of the worst. Be cool, bro.
3: So that guy called in to make the argument that the world went askew when we allowed women to smoke and vote. That's yeah, a hell of an suffrage. argument. Women's
4: suffrage. Women's suffrage. Women's
3: suffrage. Every every everything since women were allowed to vote's been all downhill in America. Smoking too. When did we let women smoke? Was it before or after we let women uh, vote?
4: <laughs> I don't know. We're just out I'll here dominating.
3: I also love you're the best thing on the radio. <laughs> best thing you're on the, the best radio. The
4: worst. I love that line. Well,
3: also the we're on at four a.m. in San Diego. So he's like, you're the best thing on the radio at four a.m. That's a hell of an argument to make. These are amazing. Oh oh
1: oh, alright.